We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Euro 2020 delivers a day that thumbs its nose at the know-it-alls. Thankfully for me, I don't know anything. This is the Arsenal Vision Euro 2020 Daily. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. The music you heard on the way in was Let's Be Free by Roxy Arms. From the label Dawn of the Day 2021, featured guitar and great music from a musician called Mac Douglas as well, who contributed to that. And it's Roxy's birthday. So happy birthday, Roxy. Uh, Yeah, birthday present to you is that we're using your music which you gave to us, so thank you for that. Uh, Roxy, also the uh, creator of the uh, original Arsenal Vision music as well, so just thrilled to have a dedicated song for a show that deserves it because of the genius, the brilliance, the know-it-all, the know-how, the the knowledge, the information of Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hi, Elliot. How's it going? Yeah, good. It's a day that um, undermines all of your great knowledge because I think you would have said, oh, I maybe fancy Scotland and maybe fancy Poland and maybe fancy... Spain and none of them won Phil none of them won but my goodness we got there in some thrilling fashion again as Euro 2020 continues to delight so we'll go through these three games then look ahead to the group of death getting off uh, to a fast start tomorrow with with Hungary Portugal France and Germany all in action so should be a fun one so let's start with the most important thing that happened at the Euros and that is Kieran Tierney not playing Uh, a kid it's not the most important thing but but Phil do we have a Kieran Tierney problem no, I don't think it's a problem. I mean, we kind of know that he's uh, susceptible to the odd injury um, every now and again. <laughs> What's up, <Just> to Put it lightly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was a bit surprised uh, to not see him, not just in the starting 11, but not in the squad, especially because there'd been no kind of noise from the Scotland camp about any issues, but maybe they wanted to keep it under wraps for uh, for obvious reasons. But yeah, not ideal to to see him not anywhere close to being involved because, as many of you know who will listen be, be listening to this podcast, he would have piqued their interest significantly in this game. But um, it was good to hear Steve Clark come out afterwards and say it was just a small niggle, and hopefully he'll be uh, okay for the England game on Friday. So we'll we'll be crossing our fingers, and I'm sure Scotland will be as well that he that he'll be all right. So. 
yeah, not great news, but but pleased that it's not sounding too serious at the moment. Yeah, 19 shots, plenty of possession, no goals for Scotland, and they saw themselves fall victim to the goal of the tournament. I doubt it'll be bettered uh, if you missed it, basically from just past halfway from Schick, and it was sensationally well struck and, and a, a brilliant eye, nothing fluky about it. Uh, but let's get to the format the way it's meant to be done. So what's your headline from Scotland nil, Czech Republic 2? My headline is that quality counts. Um, I Turns think out. this was <laughs> this was just the clearest indication of of being, you know, of, of what happened with the match winner, um, Patrick Schick. I mean, he's every, everybody knows he's a talented guy. He's been at Roma. He's you know he was almost on the verge of signing for Juve before I think medical issues uh, took that away from him at the final moment. But he's been to Bayer Leverkusen, and he's always been a very good player but I you know his his quality in the final third today and the middle third for the for the goal um was just there for all to see and the two goals in particular obviously we'll speak about the second one but even the first one was just you know such a good header um and you know there's nothing better than watching a really good header um and he was the difference essentially because Scotland had a lot of the play, had some really big chances, but they just lacked that killer instinct to to sort of put it in the back of the net. And that's what basically separated the two teams because I don't think Czech Republic were, um, you know, sort of 2-0 winners on the day. It's just that they, they could put it in the back of the net. And, and yeah, quality counts. Yeah, I mean, always fun to see a goal scored like that. Obviously, Scotland is a team that I, I find myself rooting for, just fun to root for. And I have uh, some friends in Scotland, so, you know, makes it all the more easy to root for them. But no, not a good day for Scotland. And one that I think sees them probably in pretty big trouble because, you know, England is, is going to be a tough task. I thought Croatia, you know, while not looking great against England, they have the quality. I, I think it's going to be really, really tricky for Scotland. Now, who's the player that impressed you the most from this game, though? I mean, it's it's quite obvious that it was uh, Patrick Schick. I mean, yeah. he was literally the match winner in every sense of of the of the phrase of the word. Um, as I said, he's you know we know he's a, a smart player, great left foot, kind of tall, um, but not a tall striker that's slow. He's got a nice bit of pace about him, great touch, can be the hold up guy. Um, so he was obviously their danger man from the start. But you know, even he had a few half chances early on that that you know he was kind of warming up into the game and then that header you know he was just he rose so well and directed it brilliantly into the corner and you know uh, a lot of people have spoken about the goal you've probably seen it retweeted onto your timelines you know a million times already but it was just I watched it and, and I my mouth was open it was just incredible technique the the sort of the judgment of the whip of the ball to to beat Marshall from there. It's not um, really lobbed, I, is it? It's like it's struck. <laughs> no, it was you know, and it, and it didn't even bounce before it went over the line. Yeah, you know, it was just so perfect. Everything about it, you know, to hit it first time like that when you're on the run. I know Marshall was out of the goal, and you can maybe point to uh, the Scottish player Hendry who maybe took a, a shot from a poor location and left him. You know his teammates a bit exposed, but you can't account for for a moment like that because sometimes I, I get quite frustrated when when a goal goes in because people do so many mental gymnastics to try and make it the fault of the team who conceded. 
when sometimes you know it's allowed guys you can just appreciate some incredible technique or you, you know and that's exactly what it was and it was just improvisation technique talent right at the top of you know at the top level and i enjoyed um every minute of that going from the moment he struck the ball to the ice cool celebration afterwards and it was just as you said if if anybody can beat that for goal of the tournament then i can't wait to watch it it's you know what stinks is that i I think football more than any other sport suffers watching it on tv versus in the stadium because you really lose so much of the pitch and the thing that I wish I could have been in the stadium to see is see the positioning of the keeper and sort of figure, see the moment when Schick realizes it's on. You know what I mean? Because the problem with the TV camera, the the angle there is you don't see the positioning of the keeper. So your initial reaction is what's he doing? You know? Um, And then you realize it's got a chance as it's traveling, but to see it develop a little bit more in the stadium, to see that the keeper's off his line, that Schick has realized it, that he's going for it. You miss some of the, the development, the buildup to that. But still, sensational goal. What did we learn from this game? Well, it's what you mentioned before. I think Scotland are in a in a really rough spot now because this is the game. I mean, no disrespect to Czech Republic. They were really uh, compact and really brave defensively today. They made some incredible blocks, uh, sort of last-ditch tackles when you know Scotland looked pretty certain to score. Um, in some occasions, but now they've they've got a big ask of of getting out of this group, even as the third place finishes. Because, like you said, Croatia are on zero points, but you'd fancy Croatia against Scotland, and it's just a shame because I don't think they were bad. Uh, I really thought they were okay today. They made a lot of openings. Um, I know Lyndon Dykes missed a few chances, and then even when Steve Clark made his substitutions, Che, che Adams. You know, Southampton striker did did well when he came on. James Forrest the same, and it was just kind of a nearly game where you were kind of willing the ball to go in, but it, it never really happened. And it you know it, it's a, a a well sort of said phrase in football that you could have been playing for ten eleven hours and, and nothing would have gone in. And I kind of felt that way about about Scotland today, which is a, which is a shame because the atmosphere you know, before the game, during the game was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it just made me really appreciate fans being back in the stadium again. Can, can I ask you, I mean, it seems crazy to say this, but I think there's only eight teams that won't go through to the knockout rounds. And so is it fair to say that three points just about punches your ticket? I mean, it, it could. It depends on, on what happens in the group. Because um, you figure the last place teams in each group, for the most part, you, you know, last place it doesn't really matter. They're not going through, but yeah. you know, they're going to be on maybe two, maybe zero, maybe one. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you have three points, there's going to be a lot of third place teams that only pick up two points or yeah. even even one point, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously, winning, especially your first game, puts you in a great position because whoever you play next. Um, unless it's a, another team that's won, obviously they kind of the impetus is kind of on them to to force it to force the initiative. So already winning puts you in a really good position. And you know I feel bad for Scotland because as we said, you know it wasn't for a, a lack of trying. It wasn't for um, you know I mean obviously they lacked some technical quality. I mean their right wing back 
Um, I think his name was O'Donnell. I mean, I don't know how this guy was playing international football, but he looked so uncomfortable on the ball. Like every move was breaking down at his feet. And I was like, please take him off. Um, (laughs) But it was not, you know, it wasn't like, oh, they just didn't create anything. And it was a stale performance. They did actually create quite a bit. It was just lacking that final touch, which unfortunately is what happens with with teams who are not quite good enough, you know, because at the end of the day, football's about scoring goals and it's a, it's the hardest thing to do. And, and if you can't do it, then you're not going to go very far, unfortunately. Well, if Scotland were a bit unlucky, I think Poland maybe got what they deserved, which is nothing. I thought Slovakia looked pretty good and uh, Poland didn't. And obviously they had a man sent off. They had a sort of un- unfortunate own goal from Chesney, but not a super encouraging performance from Poland and one that I think maybe has people rethinking their opportunity to, to do anything in the tournament to the extent that anyone thought that. So what's your headline from Poland 1, Slovakia 2? Well, my, my headline is that I was wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we have you on this thing? What, 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 Why am I here again? Yeah, I mean, I'm back. Turkey, that crumbled. Um, you know, Lewandowski, I was waxing lyrical about him yesterday and I think he had like two dribbled pee rollers into the goalie today that, you know, I could have saved. So that was another bust. Um, you know, I fancied Christoph Baumgartner. I tweeted yesterday that he was going to do a good job for Austria. I don't think he touched the ball in 65 minutes. So I'm kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm Look, under pressure here now. You know about uh, the teams. You're just not a, a prognosticator. That's fine. Yes. Predictions are hard. Can I ask you, though, you know, when I watch Portugal play, or at least for a while, there was an, a, a series of, of years there where Portugal, the entire team had one mission, give the ball to Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. And while there were times when I thought it held them back, obviously it's pretty effective when the guy's that good. There's a part of me that thinks Poland don't look for Lewandowski enough. Am I wrong about that? Could they, I mean, could they maybe literally try to force force him into the game more than they do? No, I mean, that's definitely an interesting shout because I was going to mention actually that I don't feel Poland have enough strength in the attacking areas. I mean, they played this sort of 3-1-4-2 formation today. Um and out wide, they had Carol Linetti, who was is traditionally a, a central midfielder, you know. And it was Zielinski. He's a nice sort of link man, very technical, very good on both feet, but he's not really a goal threat. And it was kind of just Lewandowski there, um, and they were just sort of relying on a magic moment from him, whether it be a, a, a turn in the box and a shot, or you know something magical that no one else can can conjure up. And I just felt like they lacked a lot of attacking impetus and ideas, which, you know, is not unusual. I don't think they're the strongest team in the tournament. Um, You know, they had a couple of guys on the bench. Maybe I would have introduced a bit quicker. But, yeah, I was really underwhelmed by them today, actually. They moved the ball so slowly, um, you know, and, and and we spoke about Slovakia playing well. And I thought they were really sort of direct and exciting on the break, actually, and and as we mentioned, well worth the win. I mean, it wasn't like they created chance after chance, but the chances they did make, they looked far more threatening than Poland for me. Totally agree. We get into these debates, you know, as Arsenal fans sometimes when Arsenal do nothing and everybody says, oh, we were playing on the counter. And my argument in response to that is always like, just sitting and defending is not playing on the counter. Playing on the counter means having a threat on the counter. And I thought the Slovakia performance was a good example of what playing on the counter is like, right? Where you actually 
do something dangerous when you recover the ball from the opposition. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And they were kind of playing a, a false nine formation with Andre Duda up front. So it sort of made for a lot of flexibility between the front men. Um, you know, there was a lot of interchanging. And like you said, they were very direct. You know, they were really sort of committed on the break. Like you said, they, obviously they were defending deep. But it wasn't just like, right, let's try and grind out a, a result here. They, you know, they showed some ambition going forward, which I liked. And obviously they had a couple of moments of quality. Um, one from Milan Skriniar, who, along with Marek Hamšík, is is comfortably their best player. And Robert Mack, who scored a, a really nice individual goal, even if we mentioned before there was a, a slice of fortune in the in the goal coming off the post onto onto Chesney's back and back in. But, you know, the build up to the goal was really nice. He was positive. He beat Krikoviak really easily. And, you know, he showed bravery to take on the shot. So I, I enjoyed their performance, actually, and they surprised me. Mm. Well, what did we learn from this game, if 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 anything? I'm, I'm happy to not learn anything at any moment, but did we learn anything from this game? I mean, it's maybe not to write off uh, teams who are considered the minnows. Um, for me, that was... As I mentioned before, I was pleasantly surprised by Slovakia, um, who I thought, as you know, against Poland, it's they were considered maybe not an underdog, but they they definitely weren't the the favourites to win this game, you know. But now they've put themselves in a great position. Um, like you said, three points, it kind of puts the impetus on the other people, on the other teams, and now they'll be looking at themselves and thinking, okay, we've put ourselves in a great position. Obviously, the other game ended in a draw, so already they're they're clear, you know. So, you know, maybe we should give these teams a bit more credit because um, although they they may be not huge in in name and stature, you know, this is a for a lot of these players, it's a kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, and they'll be willing to make an impact and hoping, you know, trying really hard to make an impact for for themselves and their country. So, yeah, credit Slovakia. I thought they they were they were really good today. Yeah, yeah. Well, kudos to them. But now we move on to a a really, really interesting game. Um, Spain nil, Sweden nil. And just to give you some of the stats you probably know already, 86% possession for Spain, 17 shots to four, 917 passes to the 161 for Sweden. And yet, Sweden did make it interesting in a couple of moments. Uh, Isaac, in particular, was, was responsible for that. I have to admit, the lineup for Spain surprised me a little bit because there are bigger-name players that I'm familiar with who didn't get the start, um, but Spain were totally dominant. And yet, you know, the issue you might have said with them is do they have the, do they have the end product, you know, uh, in front of goal to make the difference, and today they didn't. So what is your headline uh, from this kind of weird scoreless draw? Yeah, I'm going to take a, a leaf from Clive's book here, actually, and say mm. that speed kills. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought... Like you said, Spain were very comfortable on the ball, passing it around with little like one touch, two touch passes, you know, but not really going anywhere. And then the dreaded horseshoe returned after watching it for about six months this season for Arsenal. You know, it was going wide, coming back, going wide again, and back to the midfielders. And it was just like, oh, guys, come on. Like the only player who was, you know, looking to create something was Pedri, who's 18. You know, and it was, I just wanted to give them a shake and like, guys, this is the Euros. You need to win this game. Um, And apart from a few openings down the left with Jordi Alba, again, with Pedri involved, they just kind of 
were super meh. Um, super meh. <laughs> that is a superhero yeah. that you are not going to see in the Marvel some, universe. Super yeah, meh. Some, he has really microwavable dinners and watches Netflix and goes to bed early. Okay. Yeah, it's super, super meh. meh. Yeah. Um, I just didn't, I was not inspired by them at all. And like you said, there were a few names that maybe should have been on the pitch that weren't. We don't know if that was sort of a fitness thing or he just wanted to try a few different things. I mean, Murata was, uh, you know, we know he, he likes to miss a chance and he missed the guilt-edged opportunity in, in the first half. I, I was stunned that he put it wide, actually. But like you said, Sweden defended brilliantly. I mean, there was, in particular, the two centre-backs, you know, um, Victor Lindelof and um, Marcus Danielson, who were, like, blocking everything, heading everything. And Christopher Olsen put a huge shift in the middle. But Alexander Isak once again showed that he's got, you know, some real quality about him and was a bit unlucky not to to put Sweden ahead in the towards the end of the first half or having, you know, with, with Sweden hardly touching the ball. But they got through, you know, he beat Pau Torres with ease and I think his initial effort was going wide. But, you know, it hit Marcus Urentian and ricocheted off the post. So that was really unlucky. And then obviously he showed great feet in the box um, to set up a chance for Marcus Berg. And then he somehow... <laughs> somehow put it wide with the goal gaping so you know I mean Spain had chances obviously they had a you know the Morata one there was one with Gerard Moreno who missed the header right at the end which you know either side of the goalkeeper and that's a goal and then even Pablo Sarabia had a really good chance but he just kind of didn't expect the ball to come and it dribbled into the goalie um so yeah it was just a general lack of killer instinct up front I didn't really like how they played. I thought they were far too casual. Um, even if they, on the on the whole, deserved to win the game, I guess. Um, but I thought nil nil was a fair result because Sweden put a lot into that game, and I think they they deserved that point because they fought hard for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Alexander Isaac, someone that we covered on a Patreon episode uh, about uh, scouting for forwards, uh, Clive really likes him. He's a really talented player. I thought he did well with the limited opportunities Sweden had. Is he the player who caught your eye in this one? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was the two youngsters, Pedri from from Spain, who basically looked like an Iniesta clone today, dribbling in that left half space and, and linking up with Jordi Alba. He's an absolute joy to watch. And I mean, you know, he was playing in the Segunda in the Spanish, uh, Spanish second division last year, and he came from Las Palmas. And Ronald Koeman actually wanted to loan him out. Um, I think there was like teams like Ajax and Borussia Mönchengladbach interested. And then he ended up playing 52 times for them last season. So to come in and do that was absurd anyway. And now already he's looking like the creative focal point for Spain. Kind of everything went through him. And he was the only one that, that was looking to, to be brave and bold and go forward. Um, so for me, he was definitely a standout. And Isak as well. You know, he, he he's such a strange sort of body type um i'm not really sure how to you know take him in because people feel the same way about me if that gives you any well, okay. comfort yeah um especially <laughs> no. when he was younger he, he he looked so gangly and leggy but now you can see he's grown into himself a bit and he's got really nice feet you know he's he's very tall but he's got super nice feet and you know any sort of bright moments came through him and I was really impressed and 
I'm not surprised if, you know, I know Arsenal have been linked with him, but a lot of teams should be looking at him this summer because he had a really good season with Raul Sociedad last year. And now and now he's looking to, to continue where he left off for Sweden. So, yeah, those two really impressed me. And I think the others have a lot of work to do because uh, particularly for Spain, there was no real inspiration other than Pedri. Yeah, well, I think uh, that leaves us with what we learned from this game. And I think what I learned is that Spain still have all the technical quality and control, but they may not have the cutting edge to be the force in this tournament you might expect. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I've got it written down here, actually. I've got same old Spain written down. Mm -hmm. Um, This was my main concern heading into the tournament, that they would lack, you know, just that little bit of quality up front. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, this is Alvaro Morata we're talking about, who's a fairly established striker, you know, played for Juve, played for Real Madrid, played for Chelsea, played for Atletico Madrid. I mean, this is an incredible CV, and I actually like him. I think he brings a lot to the team, but if you need someone to put away that one chance, he's not going to be that guy, unfortunately. And I think that was clear to see again. I mean, if I was in charge of Spain, I would um, bring Gerard Moreno back into the into the sides uh, for the next one. Um, particularly, you know, he, he looked far more dangerous in the sort of the, the cameo he got towards the end and maybe some others as well. I thought Pablo Sarabia and Mikel Oyathabal were both good when, when they came on. So they at least tried to to get something going. But yeah, same old Spain for me. They had all the passes, all the technical quality, but they just lacked a bit of incision. And I think, as you mentioned, that's going to be what stops them from really causing some damage in this competition. I think they just lack a bit of, you know, oomph in the final third. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well, I, look, I, I, I find myself liking Spain, like I like Spain, but yeah, I think without someone who is a match winner you, you in tr- tournaments like this, you're going to be in real trouble. So let's leave it there for the, that group. And before we get out of here, Group F, all that's left, there's only two matches tomorrow. But if there's only going to be two matches tomorrow, uh, having to watch Portugal play Hungary, to be fair, but then um, France and Germany tee off, that's, that's a heck of a couple of matches to sink your teeth into. I can't wait for this. It, it's... It's a group that's going to be a ton of fun to watch. I obviously really lost the run of myself in our preview to the tournament by forgetting that basically all the third-place teams qualify, so I don't think yeah. the sense of danger is there like maybe I had thought. But just in terms of wanting to put a marker down, hard to look past France-Germany tomorrow as as a game that could be a preview of something to happen a bit later. No, I'm really looking forward to it, actually. I think these are two great fixtures. You know... It, France France are a strange one because they have all the talent in the world but I never finish watching them and think wow you know maybe in the World Cup uh, there were a couple of games where Kylian Mbappe just sort of exploded into life and gave them that X factor but they're just in general a very professional side um, Deschamps is very pragmatic you know and if, if they need to win 1-0 he'll do it so um, I think maybe people are going to be disappointed if they think about matching the talent level with their playing style um but for sure that's the the standout game for tomorrow and i know i i was kind of critical of germany in the preview pod um but it's you know you can't write them off if you look at too much talent it just yeah doesn't it drive you nuts sometimes with some of these teams are like you look at some of the names for some of these teams and then you watch them play and you think why can't you put that together france for me 
is that team. Now, it's weird to say of a team that's won everything they've won, but there's another level they can go up, and I, I think it's killing Mbappe's level to go. I I like France. I find myself rooting for France because of the, the old Arsenal, Arsenal connections, even though they're not really there anymore. But I have to say, Kylian Mbappe, I mean, look, always liked the player, but Phil, now I got to love him because he's in an open feud with Giroud. Not good timing or Tempest in a teacup? I was quite surprised, actually, that he came out and spoke about it so openly. Um, maybe Karim Benzema's got, you know, put a little arm around him and Operation <laughs> Anti-Giroud has commenced, you know? <laughs> um, but I... I, I wrote an article a few years back when, when Giroud was still at Arsenal and I called him football's cockroach, um, which I got, a lot of stick, I got a lot of stick for it because people didn't read the article. Um, but it was absolutely in, in total praise for Giroud because no matter what's there, no matter what's ahead of him, no matter who's trying to stomp on him, he's, he's just indestructible. He's there scoring goals and he's going to be France's top scorer ahead of Thierry Henry. He's, so. he's not. He's not. That's not happening. There's, there's got to be a possibility that, that it doesn't happen, right? Like, even if you like Giroud, it's not good for Giroud to be ahead of Thierry Henry on that list, is it? Do we want that? I don't know. It's happening. It's happening. It, and, you know, there's nothing we can do about it at the moment because even if he gets a couple of goals in this tournament, he's going to be so close to breaking it and then he'll pick it up in a meaningless friendly or something. Or uh, you know. um, But, yeah, I mean... If there's too much to read into that, I'm not sure. I kind of imagine that Deschamps would have been like, right, whatever's the issue, you've got to put it past you because this is, you know, we can't have another disruptive dressing room in a in a major tournament. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I don't think Giroud will start tomorrow. Um, but he's just a guy that you can bring off the bench and he'll cause issues. So, you know, whether it's uh, going to spur him on, I'm not sure. But for sure, I was quite surprised that Mbappe came out about it and, and spoke so openly about having an issue with, with him. Um, but obviously, we haven't spoken about Portugal yet, who may be without Joao Cancelo for the tournament because he got coronavirus, unfortunately. Mm. But you know, the rest of their squad is still ridiculous. And I, I think this could be a very messy game for Hungary tomorrow. Um, and I, I don't hold much hope for them. So obviously, that means they're going to win 2-0. <laughs> well, Portugal have to. I mean, look, Portugal have to go with this at 1,000 miles an hour, right? Because it's their chance. Lay a marker, get the three points, um, pretty much make their games against France and Germany. N- not that they won't matter, won't be stressful, but just slightly less stressful. Because as we discussed, three points puts you in decent shape to feel like you're going to get through. I mean... If there's a team that's ever had the incentive to go out and just absolutely pound weaker opposition in a submission, it's it's Portugal tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you nailed it. They need the three points here, um, not just for themselves, but especially because they play before France and Germany or just give the other guys like a bit of, you know, something to think about because they can look at them, they can watch them and think, oh, okay, you know, let's say they win convincingly. It will just put a little bit of, you know, a bit of doubt, a little bit of something into the minds of, of France and Germany. Um, but for me, you know, Portugal have too much quality to not beat Hungary, um, especially a Hungary who are lacking Dominic Soboslai, who is basically their only bit of star quality uh, in, a, in an attacking area. So I'm, I'm looking forward to watching Portugal, actually. I have to say, I think along with France, they're my favourites for the tournament. Um, and I think they'll um, hopefully put on a show against a, a weaker opposition. Mm, I, 
Yeah, I, honestly, I don't see anything other than a massive Portugal victory. There's just just too way too much talent um, for that to go any other direction, and they need it. I mean, the the crazy thing is, if they don't get a win there, you're I mean you're you're in jeopardy right there. Period. Because there's there's no three points ahead of you that you can guarantee. So, yeah, I think they got to just go out and, and smash them, and I expect that they will. Um, this is going to be the group I think everybody, other than you know. If you're a fan of a specific team, this is going to be the group everybody's most excited to watch, I imagine. Um, do you think... Give me give me a percentage chance that the winner of the whole tournament comes out of that group. Um, well, considering my two personal favorites for the tournament are both in this group, I'd say pretty high. I'd maybe go with 75%. I really feel confident in this in this group. I think... You know, um, France, Germany, Portugal already, that's an insane amount of talent. Um, and maybe, obviously, there's some competition coming from Belgium, from England, you know, even Italy as well. But I really believe that one of one of these teams is going gonna, is gonna to win it. Um, maybe if I don't believe so much in Germany, you can't, you can never discount them. But I, I would not be surprised if, if the, the eventual winner comes out of Group F. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, I'm excited to watch it. I I just think it's been a fun tournament, and I just hope that the the down day in the tournament doesn't become the day when these when these teams play because they're, they're they should be really fun to watch. So I think we can leave it there. Um, a two episode day for everybody today. We had a regular pod, so hopefully you didn't miss that. But obviously this is this is the big one, and uh, I want to thank Phil. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you, Phil. Cheers, Elliot. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We will have another one of these tomorrow and an on and on and on. There'll be a couple that Tim uh, hosts uh, because I won't be available. I haven't told Phil that yet, so don't tell him. It's a secret. I need to tell him another time, but I'll get around to that. And in any event, hope you're doing well. Wherever you are, whoever you support, it's coming home. It's coming home.